How are we doing, Revolution? All righty. Well, I hope you've had a better week than I have, um, other than the Reds collapsing, which was just painful, and at Cincinnati to the Giants, for goodness sakes. Who likes the Giants? Nobody in San Francisco even likes the Giants. So, um, on top of that, I had to have surgery on Friday. Um, I'm walking like an old man because they had to cut out a part of my lower back, and so... Um, if you see me shuffling around like an 80-year-old man headed toward the buffet, that's because that's how I feel. So, but that's all right. Um, we'll get through it. And um, I didn't think it was fair. I didn't find this out until Friday afternoon. I didn't think it was fair to call Dave in at the last minute because it really does take um, us about a week to put a sermon together. So tonight um, we're just going to, I'm just going to bear through it and we're going to go. Uh, and so we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. If you're using the blue Bibles, which we have around your chair, which, by the way, if you don't own a Bible, please take that home with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, that would be page 600. Uh, otherwise, get your own Bible, Mark 2, 13 through 17. Interesting thing I learned this week uh, after I had surgery is that I'm allergic to pain medication. Um, I learned that on the drive home when I repainted the inside of my car. Um, another interesting little fact. Throwing up in your car? Not as bad as having to clean it up the next day. So, <laughs> let's rock and roll, all right? Uh, we live in an age, um, I think that uh, most of you will agree, that we live in a time and in a culture where essentially we love things and use people. Does that, does that resonate? Does that sound about right? right no, let me repeat that. We live in an age where we love things, i.e. iPad, right, iPhone 5, whatever. We love things, we value things, we care for things, and we use people, right? I talked about this three weeks ago when I talked about the fact that we often view people in a very consumer fashion. We treat people the same way that we treat where we buy coffee or where I buy vitamin water, my favorite drink, right? It's, it's, it's you know, if I can build a relationship with someone, but if I can get the same relationship cheaper somewhere else, I will go and we use people that way, right? Not exactly a healthy way to live. And tonight we're going to look at the way Jesus treats somebody. Verse 13, 2.13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi. Uh, in other places, he is known by the name Matthew, right? He saw Levi, or Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. So he's a tax collector. He is not a tax collector for Israel. Israel had no right to collect taxes on their own. He is a tax collector for Rome. Rome is a foreign occupying power. So if you are an Israelite, you hated Rome. This is a fellow Israelite collecting taxes for Rome. So therefore, you hated Levi. Right? So there he is. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. 
So Levi got up and followed him. Now we saw this when we looked earlier, when we saw the earlier disciples, that these are the magic words, follow me, that a rabbi says to a, a, a Israelite, that every 16-year-old, 13 to 16-year-old Israelite boy longs to hear because there was nothing in that day and age better than being a rabbi. So if a rabbi ultimately said, yes, you can be one of the people who, who can learn from me over the next you know, three years or 10 years or whatever, he would say, follow me. And so you would immediately go. And so here is this outcast. Here is this person who is hated, and the rabbi, with all the buzz around town, walks up to his tax collector's booth and says, follow me. So what do you do? You immediately get up and you go. So Levi got up and followed him. Now, uh, just a little side note again for my fellow history geeks. God love you. Um, if you were a Roman tax collector, here's how it came. You were not recruited. Uh, you did not become a Roman tax collector because, hey, you're good at math. We'll take you. Um, that is not how that worked. You had to bid on the job. All right? Like a contractor, you had to bid on the job. Now, why would you have to bid on a job for an empire? Because here's how the Romans basically thought. All people are thieves, and so we're going to let you collect taxes, and whatever you can really cheat out of people, you keep. And if anybody objects, you call. We've got those guys with swords. They'll come over and they'll help you. Right? So basically, you're a thief. And that's how it works. So Now, Romans would collect taxes. If you owned land, okay, um, then the Romans themselves would come and collect taxes from you. If you owned a business or something like that, they would come and they would collect taxes from you. If you um, were part of a census, like in Luke, they would collect taxes directly from you. The Romans would do that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't bid that out. But on goods being shipped in commerce, like sales tax, they would bid those out to people. So he's got a booth, which means he's watching people come into the city. Now, there are not many ways to get into the city. Right? Portsmouth is not much of a city, but there are many ways to get into Portsmouth. But in the ancient Near East, there were like one or two ways to get into a city because you had a city gate, you had a city road, you had to go through the gate, and so to get through the gate, you got to go by the tax collector's booth. And he'd say, hey, what do you got there? Oh, look at that. Right? You've got food, you've got, you know, whatever. You've got all this to say, well, uh, the tax on that's, uh, I don't know, 25%. Right? And so that's how the tax collectors would work. They'd be there and they'd take, and they were seen as thieves. They were not only just seen as thieves. Here was what the rabbis and the first century taught. If you were a tax collector, you were not allowed in the synagogue, so you could, could, could not come to church and worship. You were barred. Your family was commanded to no longer have anything to do with you. No family cookouts, no hanging out at dad's house. You're gone. You were considered a, quote, sinner. Here, Mark will call it a sinner. We'll get to this in a minute. A sinner was lumped in with thieves, murderers, and you were ritually unclean. Now, we cover this view. If you are ritually unclean, that means that wherever you go, people cannot even touch you. If they even come into contact with you, they have to be put outside the city for days, weeks, maybe even months. And tax collectors were ritually unclean. This is how hated Matthew was. People would not even touch him. When he walked down the street, people would part like this to get out of his way and not even rub a sleeve against his sleeve. And Jesus says, come with me. 
15. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Is that how the church is today? I won't go off on a tangent. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? The scum, uh, the sinners, as I said, these are, these are people that you should be unclean. Again, Jesus, by definition, by law, as soon as Jesus reached out to touch these people, he should have been rendered unclean, put out. Nobody's got the guts to do it because this is a guy coming around and like saying leprosy be gone, demon be gone, like, all right, we're not going to say anything to him. But they're scared of him, obviously. But the law was he should be put away. Now, this is double whammy. Because... Not only if you touch someone who was unclean, would you become unclean, but to eat with someone. To eat with someone in the first century meant you fully accepted them as they were, as an equal. And it says other disreputable sinners. What does that mean? I don't know. Right? But, but the, 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 the you know, rendering scum there... The way that I interpret the Greek there is scum is probably a way that everyone viewed them. Why are you eating with such scum? And they're probably literally asking this to Jesus while he's sitting at the table because houses were open, okay? So they could walk right by in the street and look right there and there, you know, no, there are no windows, right? So it's just a big open, there's the table, they're all laying around and the Pharisees are literally outside while they're eating. Go, why are you eating with that scum for? And they're not embarrassed to say this in front of them. Right? They look down on them so much that they just don't care. But Jesus does not care what people's social standing does to his ministry. He does not care what rumors and others will do to his ministry. Churches should take note. Verse 17, and when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, i.e., you guys who think. He didn't say they are righteous. He said, you think you're righteous. He said, I have not come to go those who think that they've got it all together, but those who are sinners, who know they are sinners. What do we do with this? Um... In my small group, we talked about a few weeks ago what it means to reach out to people who we consider scum today, right? Um, I'm not going there, uh, not with this sermon. I, I, I thought about it a long time. I, this is something that's best reserved for a small group discussion. What I am going to say is this. When Jesus calls Matthew, okay, and he calls a tax collector a scumbag, and he calls him in, and he makes him a disciple. He doesn't just call, a, a, he doesn't just save a soul. He's not just teaching a student. He's not just making a statement. He's called a friend. He actually calls Matthew a friend. He will take this traitor to his country and someone that is unclean in everyone's eyes and he will call him a friend. That's what he says in John before he goes to the cross. He goes, I'm going to lay my life down for my friends. He says, you all are no longer my servants. You are my friends. He calls them friends. 
Now, here's what we're going to hit on it. Is there anything Matthew can give Jesus? Is there any value Matthew can add to Jesus' life? Is there anything Jesus gets from surrounding himself with scum in his ministry? He gets nothing. And these are the people he calls friends. How are you doing with that? Are your friends people who... See, see typically when we think friends, here's where we think friends. I mean, look, I, I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is, is a writer. Most of you know him. He's the guy who wrote, wrote the Narnia books or whatever. But he wrote all kinds of great stuff. And he wrote one book called The Four Loves. Right? Which is well worth reading. Even though... Lewis, who, who didn't know first century Greek, didn't know that by the time the first century had come along, the, the four Greek words for love had become synonyms. So it, it, he makes too big of a deal out of it. But one of the things he does when he pushes in on friends is that he says, well, friends are people who have something in common. They, they have something in common, and then they build on that. Well, that is typically how it happens. But what happens when that thing you have in common goes away or is diminished or... Right? If what you have in common is you're both Reds fans and then they collapse at Great American Ballpark, then what do you have to talk about? Oh, April's just around the corner. What are you going to talk about till April? Right? So with all due respect to C.S. Lewis, I, I don't think that's the, the way to view friendship. I know that's how typically we come together. I'm not sure that's the way the Bible defines friendship. And friendship is absolutely different from every other relationship, if you think about it. Right? You choose your friends. You choose your friends. You don't necessarily choose who you're attracted to. I mean, some of you are old enough now that you look back and go, what did I see in him or her, right? You're still trying to figure that out. You don't choose your family. And your family, God love them. They may always be there for you, but they may not like you. Right? But friends are different. You choose friends. We choose friendship. We need friendship. Any good psychologist will tell you, you you've got to have friends to be healthy. You need friends. You desire friends. You want friends. It, it's inherent to all of us. We want friends. But paradoxically, what's weird is, at the same time, you wouldn't know it by looking at our culture. If you look at our pop culture, if you look at the songs we write, if you look at the movies, how many are about friends? Most of them are about romance, right? It's about love. It's about You never see a tabloid that goes, oh my gosh, who's Lindsay's new BFF? Nobody cares. Nobody cares who Lindsay's hanging out with. They care who she's dating, right? Which is weird. Because some of the single people I know are some of the happiest people I know. And it seems like almost every other person I know in a relationship is miserable. But you need friends. You've got to have friends. Right? Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, a great study for wisdom in the Old Testament, says that fools perish for lack of friends or poorly chosen friends. Been there? Right? Your friends stink, they've led you astray, or they're nowhere to be found, right? Isn't that the loneliest time of your life? What do we do? 
You got to pay attention to friends. Friends are important. You need friends. And friends are the kind of friends you have are very important. Your, com- your community shapes you. Does it not? Your community, the people you surround yourself with, they do shape you. Right? And, and, they, and if, they're an, if they're an evil bunch, they will shape you for evil. Life is not mean girls. Right? Where you get involved with a bad crowd. But at some point, you have some epiphany. And you're like, these aren't nice people. I'm going to make a change. No, you get involved in a mean crowd and you just stay nasty. Right? Isn't that the way it works? Your community forms you. Friends are that important. So what should you look for in a friend? What is a friend? What is a true friend? Um, Now, typically what I do when I'm looking for tough answers to this kind of stuff is I go to uh, outside the Bible, the fountain of all wisdom, who knows more about the Bible than anybody knows, is Tim Keller. Right? Tim Keller's a a preacher in New York City. Um, He's he's a huge, like, six-foot-five dude who still manages to look like a nerd. And he, 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 he does incredible stuff. And he, he gave a lecture on friendship. He was reflecting on C.S. Lewis's view. And he said, friendship, he said, true friendship, if he's reading the Bible correctly, he thinks the Bible presents four things you've got to have to have a friend. Number one. Ready? You don't have to write this stuff down. I put this stuff all on the blog. That's, that's, that's why I do it. But, you know, number one, constancy. A friend is there. A friend is there when you're having a good time, and a friend is there when you're having a bad time, right? A friend is not the person who screens your calls when they know as soon as they hit the green button or whatever it's going to say, you're going to hear, oh, 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 right? A friend doesn't do that. A friend does not, a friend does not close you off. A friend is there. When you're crying, they're crying. When you're happy, they're happy. A friend is constant. Make sense? Number two. A friend is careful. What I mean by that is this. A lot of people will say things to you they don't know offend you. Right? Ever been ticked off at somebody, but you know they don't really know you well enough to tell them? You're a jerk, right? You, you, so you just kind of do one of those, and you just kind of grit it, and you just kind of get through it, right? A friend doesn't do that. A friend knows you well enough that they know which buttons not to push, right? They know how to bring you up. They know how to make you laugh. They, they are careful with you. When you're low, when you're down, I mean, guys rag on each other. That's what guys do, Right? I make fun of every guy friend I know to their face. It's a, it's a sign of affection. <laughs> if I'm not making fun of you, I don't know you that well. All right? The moment I make fun of you, I like you, which means I like Pastor Dave a lot. <laughs> so, but if you walk into my office... And you're like sucking back tears. And I know that you have been in some dark room listening to power ballads for the last three hours. I am not about to go start making fun of your shirt. Okay? I'm not going to do that. Not then because you've got to be careful. When, when, when somebody's hurting, you try to help them. Right? That's, that's what you do. 
A friend is careful. That's number two. Number three, a friend is, and this sounds a little, sounds like it contradicts us, but it's not. A friend is candid. Sometimes you have to tell your friend they're screwing up. And sometimes you're the only one who can do it, right? Sometimes you're the only one that can look your friend in the eye, cross the table or cross the living room and say, dude, this has got to stop, right? And only a friend who's been there in this time and has been there, has that constancy and has been careful can do that to where you don't just like jump up and punch him in the throat, right? <laughs> only a friend can do that. A friend is candid. And number four, a friend provides counsel. It's a, a friend is a counselor. A friend is a wise counselor. And what I mean by that is this. Most of the decisions in our life are pretty easy, Right? We live mundane lives. You think about it. There's not a lot of drama in our life moment to moment, right? You don't sit there and have panic attacks about, uh, Subway or Tim Hortons. You just, you know, you just go. It's like, oh, Subway's closer. And you just go and you eat, right? That's a daily decision. You make these decisions. You don't sweat about it. The real hard thing is when you have a decision and there is what is right and there is what may be right. You just don't know, right? You know, do I go for this major or that major? Do I take this job or do I, do I leave this job because I'm miserable because I'm not sure if I have another job? Do I, you know, you need a friend, right? You need somebody who loves you and has a little bit of distance. They can see what's going on from the outside and they can enter and say, you know what? You're not going to starve. You need to walk away from that job. You're miserable. It's killing Right? That's a friend. Over time, those four things make a true friend. Now, many of you are sitting there going, none of my friends do any of those four things. I guess I don't have any friends. And you know what? You may not. There may be good reasons for that. But typically, typically, the reason for that is not that you're just such a terrible person that you can't have a good friend. Typically, it's because so many, many of us have a hard time being a good friend. Do we not? You think about those four. I just ran down those four, and every single one of us thought about what that person, a person who would be constantly there for us. A person who would be candid with us. A person who would counsel us. A person who would be careful for us. Did you ever sit there and think, I need to be that for someone else? You didn't, did you? Do you see the problem? Do you see how easy it is to lapse into that, how you use people? Because we're always thinking about us. So you may not have any good friends because none of the people around you can ever stop thinking about themselves long enough to think about anyone else. And you may be one of those people. Right? Does that make sense? Now, we all long for those. Don't you want a friend like that? Don't you want a friend that hits all four of those? Don't you want a friend that's always there? It's okay to say you do, all right? Now that I've hammered you for all being selfish, I'm one too. Now, it, 
but you do want that. You do want somebody who is there, who is there consistently. You do want somebody who is careful with you. You do want somebody that's candid with you. You do want somebody that's going to counsel you, all because they love you. You do want that. You do. We long for this. Why don't we have... It's, it's a heart's desire we all have. But I really think the only way we're going to get it is to become that ourselves. How do we become that ourselves? How do we become good friends? Well, think about this for a second. Let's go back to Matthew, Jesus. Again, what does Matthew give Jesus? Anything? Does, G- does Matthew add anything, any value to Jesus' life? No, he just costs. It just costs. It just costs Jesus. Jesus doesn't get anything positive from Matthew. In fact, here's how the story goes. All right? So Jesus is walking along. He sees a tax collector there. He says, follow me. Matthew just about loses it. I can't believe that the rabbi has called somebody unclean like me to be a disciple. Drops everything, goes, throws a big party for me. I'm going to bring all my friends, all that kind of stuff. Come on, you've got to meet this guy. And they all come in here. We have a rabbi who's actually willing to meet with tax collectors and sinners. And they bring him on. And they have a big party. And the Pharisees come by. And they point their fingers. And they put up their noses. And Jesus looks at them and goes, <laughs> you think you're righteous. Snap. And then they go on. And then, and then so then they go on. And, and, and they're all sitting there and Matthew's like, yes! And so Matthew leaves his house and he follows Jesus everywhere. And for, for years he's just following Jesus everywhere and he's watching him. He's going, oh my gosh, did you see that? He multiplied food. Did you see that? He told demons to go and they went. Did you see what he did? Did you see what he did? This is my rabbi. He's going to teach me everything. And then one night in a garden they come and arrest Jesus and Matthew takes off. Abandons him. What does Matthew give Jesus? Nothing. And yet Jesus knew he was going to do that and called him a friend anyway. Jesus wasn't looking for anything. He just gives. You know when Matthew becomes a friend to Jesus? Jesus is already a friend to Matthew. When does Matthew become a friend to Jesus? It's after the cross. It's after Matthew realizes what has happened. He's after he has seen Jesus die on the cross for his sins. That he becomes a friend. Church history says that when Jesus sent the disciples out, Matthew went to North Africa to evangelize, to preach. And someone there took offense to what he was saying took offense to saying there was only one true God, took offense to saying the only way to God was through Jesus Christ, took offense. And they took a stick, and they put an axe head on it, and they chopped him into bits. And Matthew died, refusing to deny Jesus Christ. Now, with Matthew preaching in the middle of North Africa, facing death, what could Jesus give Matthew at that time and place? Status? No. Money? No. Suffering and death. And yet Matthew says, I will not deny my friend. Right? You can only be a true friend and therefore have true friendship on the other side of the cross. It's the only time it can happen. It is only when you see rightly who you are as a sinful human being who deserves eternal punishment and you see that Jesus Christ who was absolutely perfect in every single way, 
loved you despite the fact that you have nothing to give him at all. And that he went to the cross. And when he goes to the cross, what you have to keep in mind is this. Jesus had perfect friendship with the Father and the Spirit. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit have this perfect friendship with each other. They've had it forever. They have it continuously. And yet when Jesus goes to the cross and he screams, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, because he has taken the sins, all of our sins upon himself, he is ripped from the friendship. He loses the friendship of the Father and the Spirit. They turn their backs on him as he takes our sin upon them in order to save us. When we realize that Jesus lost true friendship in order to save us, it's only then... Only when that travels from our mind to our heart, only when that truly takes root in who we are, that we can truly be a friend to others because we're free. Because once you realize Jesus has earned it all for you, that your eternity has been paid for totally by Jesus, earned totally by Jesus, that has come to you as a gift, only when you are liberated from that and you realize that's all that matters in life can you give yourself to others because you don't care anymore that a person can't give you social status. You don't care anymore that a person can't give you money. You don't care anymore that all this person can do is, is, is take from you because you are there constantly. You are there in good times and in bad times. You are there no matter what. You are there to be careful. You say things to them as the Apostle Paul says. You say things to, that build them up and help them. That you're candid with them. You tell them when they're sinning, but you do it out of a place of love because you want to see them better. That, you, that you're always there for them and that you can give them wise counsel because you have been saved, you have been redeemed. The Holy Spirit is within you. You are growing and you can give them counsel. You can do all those four things on the other side of the cross and only on the other side of the cross. Once you've been set free, Jesus didn't care about his reputation. Right? Jesus didn't care about how the respectable people saw him. Jesus didn't care what Matthew could give him. Jesus just cared about being a friend and loving. And the great good news of the gospel is that once we are saved, once the Spirit comes, we start to become like Jesus and we start to do the same. And we start to be good friends. And once you show others what it's like to be a good friend, they can be a good friend. They can come to know Jesus. You can both be good friends. And then... Only then, once this, once this community begins to form of true friend, I'm true friend, I'm true friend, I'm true friend, do you build what the Bible calls church? That's church. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for being our friend. You call us friend. You say you died for your friends. You say that we are no longer servants but friends. And because once, once we really come to faith in you, and once we really start to grow, we can stop being so selfish and we can be a true friend to others. And they come to know you and they can be a true friend to us. And that is perfect love. That is true love. Love that does not look for anything in return, but just seeks the best of the other. We all want it. We all long for it. We don't want to be it ourselves. We just want to receive. Help to kick our selfishness out through your gospel and become selfless. Become more like your son to where we just want to give and give and give and be a friend. To be with other people constantly. To comfort them, to be candid with them, to counsel them, to love them.
And we thank you that you do this for us. You swore you would never leave us or forsake us. Even those here, as I, as I sat there and asked if you have any good friends like that, all of, you, all of us here just felt suddenly totally alone. We know that we are not alone because you are a friend and you will always be there. We thank you for that. May we worship you in response to that now in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>